and welcome to the Workful Woman podcast. I'm Cristina, your host, and my guests are people who operate at the intersection of science and spirituality. It is my great pleasure today to speak with Craig Weiler. Welcome to the show, Craig. Thank you very much for having me. It's it's a great honor to be on your show, Christina. It's a great honor to have you on my show. For our listeners, Craig Weiler is the science editor for Paranormal Daily News. He is a parapsychology journalist, author, and blogger. Craig covers controversies in parapsychology and occasionally other topics, as well as interesting studies, various researchers and projects, and the occasional topical subject related to parapsychology. To listeners unfamiliar with parapsychology, this is the scientific exploration of what appear to be paranormal phenomena, such as telepathy, precognition, telekinesis, and remote viewing. Craig Weiler is also the author of Cywars, TED, Wikipedia, and the Battle for the Internet, where he covers issues around censorship and dogma in science. Today, Craig is joining us to discuss one particular aspect of this censorship and dogma, sexism in science, more specifically, the presence of sexism in skeptical communities. I'm using air quotes as Craig will share more about how this is not actually skepticism. A bit of context on how this episode came to be for our listeners. Craig and I met via a parapsychology conference we were both attending. I reached out to him after he spoke up twice during the conference against sexism in science, and he kindly agreed to come on the show to share his insights. Before we go into the questions that I have for Craig, we found it important that we explicitly acknowledge our limitations. Craig is a white man from the U.S., and while he does not have lived experience as a woman, he does have a good understanding of the male side of misogyny, and his expertise allows him a unique point of view that I believe is important to hear. As for myself, I'm a white European woman who has lived experience of sexism, so I have a very good understanding of how it can manifest and inflict damage in both obvious and subtle ways, but naturally, my experiences and perspectives won't be representative for all women. Both Craig and I believe it's critically important to open up discussions about sexism in science, even if, or rather, especially when they're inconvenient or uncomfortable. Craig, I would like to invite you to start us off by sharing how you came to investigate scientific censorship and dogma. Thanks, Christina. So the uh, the way this started for me was uh, I, I I love writing, so I began blogging when that became available somewhere around two thousand and eight, where you could blo- where I found a website to blog for, and I started out writing about politics like everybody else uh, because that's a subject that a lot of people um, are interested in, myself included, and then. I kind of drifted over into writing about psychic stuff. And this is when I ran into online skeptics for the first time. That was a surprise to me because uh, I was, I was writing uh, a blog on a popular site about psychic ability. And I would get like 50 comments that were incredibly negative, just really, really angry type, you know, you're full of it type stuff. I was like, what? Huh? And then they said, well, there's no evidence for psychic ability, yada, yada, yada. Uh, James Randi's million dollar prize, yada, yada. So I thought, 
I'll investigate that. For those of you who don't know, James Randi was a magician who uh, managed to start a, a million dollar prize for anybody who could prove that they had psychic abilities according to a test which he completely and totally controlled. Nobody ever passed his test. Unlike the skeptics, I, I read information that was critical of Randy's million dollar prize. And when I started looking into it, I discovered that this is really not a test so much as a PR stunt mm. and that it wasn't really honest. And other people had written about this as well, critics who had pointed out the flaws in his particular test. And this was quite different from the comments I was getting, because apparently these people who were supposedly skeptics had not done any bit of research about it at all, other than knowing that this challenge existed. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I was kind of flabbergasted. It's like these people are propo- proposing that they're the rational ones, and they haven't done a single bit of research on this. This is weird. And that was really what began my journey was what on earth is going on with these people and why are they so disagreeable about a subject which they obviously know very little about? And so that was how it started. It's 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 very interesting what you talk about because on 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 the one hand, at least some of the people that you describe, they they describe they describe themselves as skeptics. But what you describe there is not really skepticism, is it? Could you could you could you could you expand a bit about that? Because I think that's a point of, of confusion, really. For example, I would, um, as our listeners as well, identify as skeptical. I don't take things that's at face value. I maintain healthy levels of doubt. I think that's a good thing. I ask questions. I look for evidence to back up claims, but it really doesn't sound like that's the kind of opposition you are encountering there. So what's, what's going on? That's a really interesting question. And it took me a very long time to sort it out. It ended up being a major point in my book. It's, it's a little bit complicated. And so first of all, you're right in that these, this is not actual skepticism. These people that, are, that claim to be skeptics, and that's, that's how they define themselves. They, they, they take the label skeptic, and that's a self-identifying label that they put on themselves as a skeptic. They believe that they are, uh, that they are rational, and that their thought processes are very logical and that other people are crazy and um, full of fantasy and not thinking clearly. So you're dealing with a belief system here, not really, not really reality. You know, if you, if you look around and you see most people during regular life, what you'll see is that people behave in a relatively rational manner and that they'll have, some beliefs here or there, which are possibly a little bit out there, but they have reasons for it, probably based upon personal experience. Mm-hmm. And then you have people on the edges that are a little wild. Uh, but what I began to find was that you have uh, people who are committing one type of error, which is they believe something that isn't actually there. But then you have people that commit the other type of error, which is not believing something that is there. The uh, the skeptics tend towards the latter type of error. 
the pe- when I say skeptics, I mean these self-defined skeptics who have some of these beliefs. I dug deeper into this, and one of the things that you discover when you talk to these people is that they see everything in a very, very black and white way. Mm-hmm. In other words, all of their sources and all of their thoughts are 100% correct, and they simply and completely reject everything else. Very, very black and white. It's, a, it's an interesting thing to see because there's a complete level of disrespect for any opposition to what they believe. Now, if you think this sounds like fundamentalist Christians and all the other people who, uh, all the other beliefs where people are fundamentalists, uh, that was my take on it too. Mm-hmm. That this list looked to me to be a form of fundamentalism. And there's a name for it, scientism, which is basically when somebody takes science as the ultimate form of reality and uh, rejects everything that doesn't fit into their view of science. So they were displaying fundamentalism, uh, zealotry, uh, a need to push their point of view and to convince other people to, that they were right. Um, this is an interesting aspect of them because it it reframes them uh, not as rational people, but rather as the type of fundamentalist that is simply a zealot. Now, I know I've been used this words a, cu- a couple of times, but what what they do is more public relations than looking into science. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way I fashion it is, uh, the way I describe this mostly is that, one, they're all atheists, all of them. These self-described skeptics are all atheists, which should tell you one thing. It's like they're they're all sharing this atheistic belief system. And then if you divide it up uh, into different forms of atheism, you find that they are anti-theist. Anti-theist is a form of atheism that is, uh, uh, how do I describe this? It's a form of atheism that attacks religion. So they see religion as infantile and uh, full of magical thinking, and they'll ridicule those aspects of religion. Um, that's that's just part of their belief system. So you have the anti-theists, and then if you narrow that down a bit, then you get the skeptics. So you have anti-theism and scientism combined, and they come across to me as the crazy fringe, crazy fringe of atheism. It's. I think it's important also to distinguish because I I know. You know, I know a lot of atheists who are very rational people, you know, they're evidence-based, like they don't have that, what sounds like that emotional component, that over-attachment to that identity. Like it almost sounds like what you're describing is an, an over-attachment to, to being in one way or to have a view of the world in one way. Is that it? Is that what goes on there? Is is there something else behind this fundamentalism as you describe it? They are enormously attached to a very, very particular worldview. Uh, It is very materialistic. 
So they uh, they only believe in what they can see and what they uh, and particular sciences that conform to this particular view, uh, and they are hostile to everything else. So, for example, they're hostile to parapsychology. They are hostile to homeopathy. They are hostile to chiropractors. Mm -hmm. They are hostile to Santa Claus. They are hostile to the Easter Bunny. They are uh, hostile to acupuncture, naturopathy, pretty much any holistic medicine. And you can you can derive from this uh, a a, uh, a belief in uh, you could derive from this that the worldview is very narrow. And you can see this from the beliefs that they have, that scientism is their worldview and that they're not, uh, they're not entertaining an idea of anything that might be beyond that. Mm. So, so it, it, in, that, in that sense, it's, then it, it's not really the pursuit of truth. It's rather the, um, uh, the pursuit of maintaining a certain truth, regardless of whether it actually reflects objective reality or not is that correct it's defending a belief mm. is how i would frame that you and i connected over what you described as um well really an issue with sexism um in in this mm -hmm. community of what i would call pseudoskeptics that you're describing how do you think first of all Can you describe the issue uh, a little bit for our listeners? So what, what is going on there exactly? What kind of cases have you encountered or, or heard about? Well, the, um, first of all, uh, if you've ever encountered a skeptic, you know that they're kind of angry people. Just in general, they're, uh, they're insulting and condescending, uh, which is an indication of like what's going on in their head is they're just, they're just not happy people. And a, a lot of them are, it's a predominantly male community, uh, mostly skewer, skewering younger. And you'll see with that, with the anger and with the limited views and stuff, they have a lot of authoritarian traits. Mm. Uh, and authoritarian is generally, uh, you know, bootlick your superior and punish your uh, inferiors, right? That's kind of a, a an authoritarian trait. And there's a tendency among these skeptics because they already have this mindset of doing that with women. And you can see the, uh, you can see it in the occasional um, doo -doo -doo -doo. Uh, drama that unfolds in skeptical communities because the, the women who the, who are in those communities will speak up about it. And then you'll get a lot of blogs and things going on uh, about various mistreatment of women, uh, sometimes at the hands of some very prominent skeptics. Mm. It, so we're talking about pretty overt types of sexism uh, in this, in this community, not, not just, not just, well, just being, you know, big air quotes, because that is an issue in and of itself, subtle forms of sexism, but it sounds like what you are describing and what I was reading in preparation um, for this interview and from your book as well are anything from uh, being sexually harassed at a conference to even allegations of rape. So it sounds like a very, very serious problem to, 
to be aware of and and to address. Have you ever witnessed anything like that personally? You don't have to to give us the names, but I'm just curious. Well, among skeptics, no. The the truth is that they're a relatively small population, these these diehard skeptics, and I don't run into a lot of them in in real life. Um, You know, part of that these days is COVID, right? Because we're Mm -hmm. just not having a lot of contact with other people. Part of it is just in any particular community where you're meeting people face-to-face, you're not going to encounter very many of them. Mm -hmm. And if and if I do, I might encounter them on a very casual basis, but not enough to uh, get an idea of how their lives are actually going and what they're doing with women. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for, on a personal level, I don't have enough data mm-hmm. uh, on, on how these people work. But uh, you know, you can see it in the writing, and you can see it in the general communities of you know how much drama they have around uh, the issue of misogyny and. and and when when women, for example, describe going to the conferences, uh, to to these skeptical conferences, there was a lot of inappropriate touching. Uh, you know, they were afraid to get in elevators with people. Oh God! Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, having having men constantly come on to them, which is you know, women in general have that problem. Well, you, and, uh, you, don't, you don't have to explain it to me personally, but I think for our listeners, especially if they have lived experience, they, they know what you're talking about and they know what damage, you know, this, this can inflict both at a personal level and on your career and frankly, your entire life. This is not something to be taken lightly. And, you know, even reading about cases such as these and for our listeners we we are going to include a couple of links in the show notes uh, but a fair warning it is quite emotionally heavy especially and I can say from my experience if, if you have lived experience of sexism there's only so much you can go through because before you you know you, you you leave absolutely disgusted and to imagine the first-hand experience of that the impact on on women and frankly anyone who who is marginalized in some way and then you know at at a science level the impact on what we actually get from scientific research and the people who get to stay in it and advance their careers and you know give their input in the first place it's just horrific right can can you can you expand on that a little bit like for me it it got a a little it got very emotional honestly reading about all of this well from let me give you the male perspective here because that's really where I'm more qualified. I'm hardly qualified to talk about the lived experiences of women. Uh, but from the male side, it's really hard, even if you're empathetic, to see what's happening. Uh, you know, you can hear from women and you can uh, you, you can hear from women, you can understand the issues, uh, but you know from from a male perspective, it's not lived. Uh, you know, I when I go out, I don't have people catcalling me. I never did, not as a young man or as an older man at all. Uh, I don't really worry about people randomly hitting up on me. I never did. Um, and, and just in general, I, I don't have that fear of somebody encroaching on my life and, and trying to control me in some manner. It just it just doesn't happen. It, that kind of experience is not there for me. And 
in order to understand women better uh, and their experiences, I had to stop and listen really hard and try and put everything together, which is something that you have to actively try to do. You have, to, uh, from a male perspective, you have to push past the uh, the tendency to just sort of block it all out because it's not my thing, it's not my problem, I'm not going to think about it, and actually start listening. Uh, and you know, when when I did that, then 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 things were a little bit different for me because then it's like, okay, I hear this all the time from women. I I have a chiropractor as a young woman who just stopped taking men because it was, she's a young, pretty woman and it was just too much trouble for her. They, uh, you know, randomly getting hit up by a guy, having them inappropriately touch her, all this kind of stuff was just too much for her. Wow. So she just stopped taking, taking in men as, um, as clients, which is a shame because she's really good. It's terrible. But, uh, you know, I understand her position. I, I knew a, a female, um, musician who could pretty much count on having a guy try to hit up on her after she finished every, every, every concert, some guy would come up from the audience and hit on her. And then of course she would turn them down at which point they would start name calling. Right. And you hear these things enough. And then it finally in the male brain finally starts to sink in that this is, this is really an issue, but it takes time and, it's difficult to process because it's it's not an experience that I have. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. No, I just I just wanted to to say that for, I, I have the experience of being in the other position where I would have to tell you know men in my life and like you know very egalitarian men in my life like look this thing happened and you know you, you were there you saw it it was very subtle you know sometimes it's very subtle but the impact is, is very long lasting. And have you, because we, we are, we are, we are talking about both um, overt and covert sexism. And I think something that's important to point out is that this is not pointing the finger at, at men. I think it, this can come from anyone. I think we all have being socialized in patriarchal societies at the end of the day, we, we do, have these sexist attitudes at some level. Um, and we, we really need to be on the lookout for these biases. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the, so from a male point of view, you, you, uh, this, inc- this requires some reprogramming. Uh, I, you know, I grew up in an age uh, where uh, women were just starting to really assert themselves through feminist movements. Um, this was, uh, you know, back in the um, 19, late 60s, mid 70s or stuff when it really started to blow up. Uh, and so I've been exposed to that for a long time. And it's even so you know, you have these, these habits which are ingrained in the men around you, which are kind of uh, dismissive of women's issues. It's not that they're trying to, it's that they don't hear them. The, the guys just aren't hearing, they aren't seeing uh, the issues that, that women have. 
because they're they don't have a relatable experience that's similar to that. I want to expand on that a little bit with you because I think it's really important. Well, I want to start, actually, this is where I want to start from. We we talk about sexism in these uh, pseudo-skeptical communities, militant skepticism types, this, this very niche. Um, and I was, and this is something that I, that I remember asking you, is sexism something you also see in parapsychology circles? Um, what do you think, what do you see happening there? I've kind of looked for it in parapsychology, but uh, I haven't seen any writing or any protests from women mm. uh, complaining about uh, issues of sexism and parapsychology. So it's if it if it's there, it's largely invisible, and I I don't think it's a problem based upon what I've been able to see. Uh, the uh, the current uh, the current president of the Parapsychological Association is a woman. The mm. executive director is a woman. The president of the Society for, for Scientific Exploration is a woman. Mm. I believe that her next in command is a woman. So you do have, you have women in positions of power in these organizations. And uh, one of the thing, uh, things about parapsychology is this is not a field that you get into if you're a shrinking violet, uh, afraid of criticism and not willing to mix it up with people because you, you have to be pretty headstrong to get into this field. Uh, and I have a hard time believing that if, they, if these women were encountering a lot of sexism there that they wouldn't speak up. I think we'd be hearing about it because uh, although they're very nice, decent uh, welcoming people. Uh, I'm fairly certain there's a spine of steel back there uh, because they're in parapsychology and you kind of need that to be there. So based upon the fact that I think parapsychology has uh, a lot of very strong women in it and uh, the, the fact that I think that they would speak up if there was a just a general problem, maybe not for an individual doing something one time, but if there was a general problem with sexism, I think we'd be hearing about it uh, because I think they'd be pretty loud uh, in their objections. I'm speculating here, uh, but the, these are my conclusions uh, based upon what I know of the field. Uh, I, there does not seem to be a systemat systematic problem of sexism and parapsychology as far as I can see. Um, well, I'm very happy to I'm very happy to hear that, and I, I sure hope that's not the case. I I, I do want to to challenge uh, that a little bit, not not in the sense of bringing up overt sexism, but something. This is something that comes from my own lived experience, because as you say, this is something that you see from your perspective, and I think it's. Okay, well, most of us can't see overt sexism when it happens, these extreme cases especially. But I think many mm -hmm. times what happens is we don't see the subtle forms, you know, th those things that even as a woman make you wonder, was that okay? I'm not sure. You know, they, they leave you feeling a little bit iffy. Um, so I did come across a post a while ago, and I only present this not as 
um, a criticism to parapsychology in 2022 because it's an example from 1991. It has been a long time since then. But it is the only thing that I encountered so far that resemble that subtle flavor of, of sexism. And I think even if it's not the case today, which anymore, which I hope it's not, I think it's such a good example of how it can crop up even in very egalitarian communities. Um, and that example is from an article um, on uh, the Women and Parapsychology Conference that took place back in 1991. And the article is co-authored by Nancy Zingrone and Lizette Coley. And what they're talking about is, and I quote from both of them. So for the first one is from Nancy Zingrone. In 1991, very few of the men in the field took the Women and Parapsychology Conference seriously. So many otherwise egalitarian male colleagues in the field dismissed the topic as a women's thing that I was a bit demoralized about the situation. And then Lizette Coley follows, we seemed to have peaked too early for many who airily dismissed the fruits of an excellent conference as just that woman thing. And this sounds so familiar to me from similar experiences that I've had. And I want to underscore again, this is not a criticism of parapsychology in 2022 because I don't know if something like that would happen anymore. And in fact, there is um, a Women in Parapsychology Revisited conference that will take place this year on November the 19th. And I will drop a link uh, in the comments for um, everyone interested. It's organized by the Parapsychological Association. But this, this is the type of subtle form of sexism that I want to bring up because I think it affects so much. It affects, you know, uh, not just the life, I mean, the lives of women involved in the first place. And then, you know, if you look at it from, from the scientific output perspective, what scientific output you even end up happening, what scientific output, you know, researchers and the general public are even aware of. And at the end of the day, what progress we even end up making, right, in this field that is already devoid of resources that it so desperately needs. Um, Craig, what are your thoughts here? Uh, fr from my perspective, that's a little bit tough, uh, a little bit of a tough call. Uh, and the reason is, is because uh, my uh, in entertainment, there are people who are um, targeted audiences and non-targeted audiences. And so when you have a conference that says it's for women, the men automatically do not consider themselves the targeted audience. Mm -hmm. uh, so the question, and this is something that I, I, I obviously can't completely answer. You'd have to get in everybody's head is are the men, are the men just saying, Oh, I'm not the target audience here. I can turn this off. Or are they legitimately dissing, you know, just sort of dismissing women. Uh, and and that is uh, that that's one that I really I can't answer uh, definitively because there is this effect of uh, I'm not the target audience and so I'm just going to tune this out. Uh, you know they. So the the question would be if we if we put the women in a different format uh, where you know everybody's sharing together are women. Uh, you know, do do women presentate? Do the women's presentations garner less support than the men's? Um, and I think that was 
that's how you would have to, you know, measure something like that. Mm. Whether women overall in a mixed situation are getting less attention than men. And I, that I don't have any data for that. I don't know uh, how that plays out. Thank you, Greg. But, um, you know, the, there is the issue of target audience, which complicates things. I agree with you in that there, there are many factors coming in. And I think, and this is what I, I appreciate um, about the way you, you approach things. It is a nuanced approach. So it's a yes and, you know, a type of thing. And I think it's important to, to, to keep that in mind. Um, I want to come back a little bit to the to sexism and pseudo-skeptical communities. Um, mm-hmm. Because when we, um, ha- when we connected and we had a private chat, we kind of stumbled upon this idea um, of, you know, linear versus holistic thinking. And this is something you also bring up in your book. And I recall you drawing a, uh, a connection to, to, to why sexism might even occur in these communities. Do you want to expand a little bit on that? Um, so the reason I, the, the reason that it, sexism comes up, I'm fairly certain is because that these are largely authoritarian personalities in these organizations. Uh, and you, you also find that, for example, in, in other scientific communities, uh, where you have a lot of authoritarians, look, you know, doing power grabs and looking for positions of power and pushing their point of view, and they they tend to be fairly successful at that because they're constantly self-promoting. And these types of people tend towards sexism because that fits in with their mentality. They consider women to be beneath them in a way, and so they tend to treat women as uh, somebody they can run over, I guess is one way to describe that. They, they just, they, they see women as some, somebody to, to manipulate and to control and to, um, to lord it over because they can, right. Because they're, they, they perceive themselves as being in a position of power over them. Mm -hmm. That's authoritarian. They uh, and when you see it in science, you see the same sort of problem. You know, the science, the sciences in general, have a terrible sexism problem. That's what uh, I wanted to come to. Yeah, yeah. Please, please tell us more on that because right? I think that's very relevant. Well, I, you know, I stumbled upon the sexism in science while searching uh, for information on sexism in in skeptics, of which there's actually very little. Uh, other than the dramas themselves that unfolded uh, over the years, but sexism in science is a is a really interesting topic, and the uh, the people who are the big litmus test for this are trans people who have transitioned from male to female or from female to male because they have experiences in science from both sides, and the 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 change is quite dramatic. Uh, for them, because on one end, as a woman, they're getting no respect at all. And then as a man, everything changes and suddenly they're respected in their field. Same person, same intellect, but completely different perception solely based upon their gender. It, and it's really an absurdly huge difference, uh, something that, that that shouldn't be there. And really, I think the only um, 
cure for that is simply to flood the flood the science fields with men, with women. <laughs> because you're, you're you're just you're just not going to get that good treatment from men because they're um, authoritarians gravitate towards power, so they're going to push for positions of full professorships, for being in charge of the departments and being in charge of uh, various areas where they start gatekeeping, hmm. and because they they they're just they're they're big on gatekeeping. Uh, you see this, for example, with skeptics on Wikipedia. They're they're gatekeeping all these uh, uh, all these holistic topics um, and preventing preventing information that doesn't doesn't agree with them. And you see this in the sciences, where they're gatekeeping all these holistic topics and preventing them from getting into the mainstream. And they gatekeep women just as just as easily. It's it's basically, you know, these are frightened people and women threaten them. And here we go. I have a hypothesis here. I'm curious to, to get your thoughts on. Um, because if, um, if in the, if in this, uh, you know, pseudo-skeptical communities you are describing, um, there is this attachment to being rational, to being scientific. There is this scientism going on. Well, if we're being perfectly honest, the history of science is stained with sexism. You know, we, we, as you say, like women have been pushed out. Uh, women have had contributions that were not acknowledged or, you know, even, you know, downright stolen. Um, and this has... Um, and, and I think it is important for us to acknowledge that the way in which the scientific establishment has come to be has been shaped by that. It, it is impossible for, you know, rampant systematic sexism, for, you know, me being born at the wrong time, not even being allowed to study physics or having to get some sort of special permission to do that. You know, that definitely shapes the way we do science today. Um, and mm-hmm. I would argue that it's somewhat very biased. Um, to whatever the people who did get to do science did it, you know, overwhelmingly uh, men across history. Not not that I'm making men a homogenous group, but I'm talking more about perhaps a male type of thinking that, you know, we're kind of trying to put everyone into the same shape today. And maybe we, maybe we don't need to do that. Maybe we need to switch the systems up a bit. Maybe we need to rethink science, which, you know, feels like parapsychology do and push for serious change. So I, I kind of see things interlocking here, but mm-hmm. I'm curious from your list, how does that look like? Do you think this makes sense? Oh, I absolutely agree that it's all interlocking. You could, you could just see how this plays out. So it starts with, uh, let's say you have a, a, a man and a woman on a successful scientific endeavor. And then through sexism, uh, when they publish, the man gets the credit. The the sexist scientific body sees the man as naturally as the lead. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but that's how they see him. So the woman gets relegated right from the start. As this scientific discovery becomes known, the man's name gets out there and then the woman's doesn't. And you have this play out over all these fields and all this time. And pretty soon it looks like the, the women aren't contributing anything because their names aren't getting out there because mm-hmm. the sexism little bits at a time are slowly uh, building, building this perception that the women aren't contributing to, 
as much, which helps fuel the whole cycle when you go back around again for the next one that they believe that the women, the men are doing the work because when they see all the textbooks and, and all the original studies, all the men are showing up and the women aren't. And so it perpetuates this idea of sexism. So absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, and, and there's, I have a very specific example of that that I that I came across uh, recently. Um, I'll put a link for the listeners in the show notes. Um, Albert Einstein's first wife, she, she they worked together quite a lot. Like she she you know they they a lot of the work was co-created, but she wasn't credited for that. And you know, granted, um, it 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 does seem like she was the personality who didn't want to be in the spotlight anyway, and there were other things that played there as well. But you know, it is her work, and it's it's not Mileva's name that we're hearing today, right? We're just we're just hearing hearing Albert Einstein's name, but you know, we should here, Mileva Einstein and Albert Einstein, you know, who who did co-create a lot of the work. And, you know, when when I when I when I shared after my social media, I did get messages from people who were absolutely shocked. They were like, I never heard of this. And it's just all these untold stories that we're not aware of that shape where we are today. Yeah. And then you have stuff like uh, the backlash of uh, critical race theory. Uh, and all this sort of thing where people are trying to correct this history and bring minorities. And if you're bringing in minorities uh, to the forefront, you're also bringing women. This, the, these two things tend to come together. Um, but you're, when, you, when you start pushing for the real history where all these people suddenly get acknowledged for all their contributions, you get this huge sexist, uh, misogynist, uh, racist backlash um, where they're literally trying to keep that, you know, a revised history, I should should say revised, corrected history away. They don't, you know, it's like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. Boy, isn't that a view into that mindset? Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, going into the practicals, um, because I think, you know, a lot of people might listen to this and they might say, well, you know, I do want to stand up. I do want to tackle sexism. I do want to tackle discrimination in science. You know, may- maybe it's about gender. Maybe it's about race. Maybe it's about something else. Like, but what can we do that can actually practically help? And in particular, what do you think academics can do? So from my standpoint, I think men need to speak up about when they see sexism. They they need to educate themselves on it and be aware of it and speak up when they see it happen. Uh, And that this has to be a man-to-man conversation. Uh, Because when when guys are tuning out women, uh, and I think there have been studies where, where they've shown where men just simply don't listen to women like in, in a meeting, and then a guy will, you know, a woman will make a suggestion, and then a man will make it after her, and the guys hear the men, but not the women, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So a man needs to call that out and say, hey, that was her idea. You know, you just stole it. You just you just stole it. And everybody has to stop and suddenly be aware that, yeah, this person just spoke, this woman needs to be heard. Uh, and I think that has to be a guy-to-guy conversation. Because mm-hmm. I um, just because the men aren't listening 
to the women. So they need to be talked to by guys who say, hey, look, you're doing this wrong. You need to you need to pay attention to this person. Uh, and then that hopefully raises the awareness of people of the of men who are subconsciously uh, dismissing women. They because I, I think most of the time they're not even aware of it. Uh, I rarely see misogyny of any form, uh, but you know usually it's just the guy. The guy's like, this is just the way things are. I'm not misogynistic, and then they go and do something misogynistic. Um, because they don't, they don't see themselves the way they don't see the behavior. And only when somebody calls them out, can they, uh, can they recognize that that's what's going on, you know, so that something in their brain can click and go, Oh, Oh, Oh. <laughs> um, so that's, that's my particular theory. I think that's, that's a conversation that men need to have with each other uh, in order to, for that to really make any progress. Uh, they men who are being misogynistic need to be confronted by other men. That's my take on it. Is there something academics can do in particular? Um, basically, the the same sort of thing. I think uh, in academia, it's it's probably even a big a bigger issue. Uh, there was the issue of uh, uh, you know Marie Curie. And her husband in the Nobel Prize, where he refused to accept it unless she was included. Uh, and, you know, and that's the reason she's famous is her husband stood up for her. That's the reason we know who she is, because her husband refused to let a situation perpetuate where he was uh, he was the sole discoverer. And again, you know, men need to man up be strong and give women the credit they certainly deserve. I fully agree. And there's something I want to add to this because I think we also have to bear in mind, uh, we, we are always told to show up authentically, but what we, what we usually fail to mention or even be aware of is that, you know, when you are in a group of people who are like you, you're not the minority or the majority, you have more leeway to be authentic, which includes speaking up, you know, which includes pointing out when something's wrong. But if you are in the minority, you do risk backlash. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, in the case of women, we can be told, you know, we're too angry, you know, or, you know, whatever else a type of backlash we might incur. So I think this is another reason why it's important in this case for men to step up. And in general, whenever you find yourself being in the majority and having that protection, let's say, you know, that you can actually, you know, you should step up and, and, and speak. And I completely agree with you here. Um, the other thing I wanted to, to bring up was because we, we, th- we talk about solutions at an individual level, but that doesn't always feel complete to me. I feel we should also talk about solutions at a systems level, um, because one example being, you know, if, if we have the history of science, like, you know, stained by sexism and it was shaped in that way, then perhaps the current structure, some of the current structures are not working for women, you know, and, and mm-hmm. we should be explicit about that. And I feel we're kind of hiding away from that sometimes. What do you think, Craig? Uh, that's a really uh, tough one. I mean, 
first of all, you know, I agree that this needs to be systematic. Uh, on the other hand, how you accomplish this is a really tough one because there's no system that can't be uh, that can't be manipulated. Uh, they, you know, when you get the wrong people in charge, things can be interpreted in a different way. Uh, some rules can be ignored. Some can be overemphasized, and pretty soon you have people have things just the way they like them, which is they don't have to change. So it's really, really tough at the system level. Uh, because you you know this is really about people and their own awareness rather than individual rather than a systemic thing. The if if I was going to if I if like somebody gave me the budget and the time and the sciences and said stamp out stamp out misogyny and sciences, Craig, uh, I would make sure that uh, uh, the awareness misogyny awareness was a required course every year for every man that they just, they have to, they have to sit through a year, you know, they have to sit through at least a semester of education about misogyny, where they have to keep hearing the stories of how, of the women's experience so that it slowly starts to sink in. Uh, beyond that, I don't, you know, you, you're teaching empathy, which is a really, really tough thing to do. Uh, you know, you know, you have to figure, you know, the people that are most misogynistic probably had mothers that were screaming at them all the time. Uh, you know, parents that are parents that are angry and yelling at them. I mean, they're angry people. Right. That's part of uh, of the makeup, you know, particularly when you're looking at, you know, these uh, hardcore skeptics, hardcore religious zealots, they're angry people. So that 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 can only mean that they had angry childhoods and. Uh, they probably had parents screaming at them and they just sort of tune it all out. And so when women get angry at them, they flip into this automatic defensive gesture that they learned from childhood of tuning it out. So getting angry doesn't really help mm. because they're just, they've, they've been there. They've done that. They know what to do uh, psychologically to protect themselves from somebody else's anger. They just mm. shut them off. They get, or get angry back. Uh, so, um, it's a, you end up with this delicate path of being, you have to not trigger that when you're confronting misogyny, which is why a guide to guy thing tends to help is because it's, they're less likely to get triggered by that. If you, once you trigger people, you've lost their rational thought. They're, they're caught up in their emotions and they're not going to hear anything. Uh, so you have to approach people when you're dealing with a topic like this in a way that doesn't trigger their automatic emotional defenses so that they can actually listen. And that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, that's just this, you're getting into the field of psychology and trained clinicians uh, to pull off something like that. And uh, it could be a lot to ask of a regular person. That's a very good point because it is, it is an emotional topic on all sides. Well, for different reasons, but you, you know, and we all get into this very defensive states when we talk about it so that's very true um that we do need to be very careful how how we approach things so that we don't trigger that so that we can have an empathetic discussion a rational discussion at both levels um and i i agree with you that empathy is key uh, and i'm not quite sure how to go about teaching that either i mean i think it's a longer ter term effort um 
type of thing, um, you know, comes from family, comes from formal education, comes from a lot of places um, where, where, you know, you could foster empathy. Um, I would say that the type of uh, course that you're describing, I mean, I would have everyone in it because at the end of the day, you're talking about intersectional feminism, it sounds like. You know, so I think, you know, we all have unconscious biases. We all need to sit down and confront them and be, learn how to be with the uncomfortable feelings because we all like to believe we're the good people. I wanted to say the good guys, but, you know, then I caught myself. See, see, you know, so, and we don't, we don't see where we slip, where we mess up. Well, we do, we do, we discriminate, you know, we, we, we do make these snap judgments, you know, that, um, uh, that are not uh, in favor of other people and we do exclude people without realizing but we only see it when it happens to us um, mm-hmm. and thus the blind spot um, so when it when it comes to this history of sexism and the sciences and you know how it might contribute to the exclusion of fields such as parapsychology or really anything that tries to tackle you know holistic thinking type of approaches to how we live, how we conceptualize of our reality, and so on. Um, I came across this quote um, uh, allegedly by Wilhelm P. Prayer, and he attacked the Society for Psychical Research uh, in its beginnings. And basically what um, he said was uh, that a strict scientific spirit cannot be considered the motto of the society in the first place is already evident from the large numbers of female members and participants. So you can kind of see how this idea of what is scientific and men, you know, was so entangled at the time, at least in the minds of some scientists and presumably members of the general population that I think it's, we really cannot ignore its consequences in the present day. Like, what does that say to you? Like this, this type of statement? Well, back then, of course, they were, uh, they were allowed uh, by society to say such outrageous stuff. You know, the weaker, the weaker sex sort of deal, um, which, uh, which allows us to see explicitly what was going on? What was going on in their minds? Because they felt free to say exactly what they were thinking. Uh, now they aren't free to say something like that because they would receive a lot of backlash. But that doesn't mean they aren't thinking it. <clears throat> uh, so my take on that is: the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, the uh, you know. The this whole area of parapsychology, the occult, and women—they've uh, always been very much tied together. And I think one of the issues here is that uh, when it comes to intuition and psychic ability, uh, the people who can do this best are about two thirds, uh, two thirds female, one third male. So it is substantially a, a female ability in many ways. And this is also an area where women can exert great power. There's a, a great deal of power in psychic ability, obviously. And uh, when you're when you're looking at people who can see, you know, who are intuiting uh, things, who are seeing a little bit of the future, who are able uh, to navigate uh, psychically issues that can't be dealt with rationally, you're talking about people with a very particular type of power real raw power. And that is incredibly threatening 
to uh, <clears throat> to authoritarian types because it's not a power they can take. It's not a power they can use. It's not a power they can manipulate. It belongs to a person and it only comes through them. And if it's a woman, obviously you see, you know, the whole witchcraft thing and whatnot mm-hmm. that the churches did, which is really no different from scientists disparaging women now. It's, uh, it's just one was overt and the other one was subversive. Um, it's attacking people who have this certain type of power. And those people are women. And so it frightens them. So, so then what I'm hearing um, is that this, this holistic, this intuitive type psychic, you know, ability was associated with women. uh, And then these two kind of got rejected together. Is that what you're saying? Well, if this was primarily a male ability, I don't think they would view it the same. Um, in other words, you know, if if authoritarians had this sort of intuition, they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't be frightened by it. But it's it's an unknown for them. It scares them because, uh, you know, for example, they I've frightened frightened them sometimes when I've been talking to skeptics by intuitively understanding them. They they don't like that at all. They don't like to be seen. They like to they like to think of themselves as as being completely in control. And when somebody else can see them clearly, they don't feel in control. And of course, you know, highly intuitive women could do that. Uh, it's just this holistic thing is tied to women, and this is one of the reasons you see all these holistic topics get attacked so fiercely. Is that they're tied to women. Mm. Women are good at this. Uh, and, and so they're going to attack the subjects that the women are good at. And when you say that when it comes to psychic abilities, um, about two thirds of the people who are good at it are women. Is this anecdotal type of evidence or is there actual hard data behind it? Uh, I, I don't have the uh, exact studies in front of me, but this is something that's generally known in parapsychology. Mm. So, Craig, if we imagine that, you know, we, we go in 50 years from now and just based on how things are looking at the moment, how do you think that in 50 years from now, things will look like? Do you think we'll manage to do away with dogma and discrimination in science by then? No. no I think, um, <laughs> now that's depressing. <laughs> I, I think we can uh, diminish it, but uh, eliminating entirely is probably not in the cards. Uh, and my reasoning for this is that uh, there, there seems to be uh, personality traits that are sort of baked into people uh, in, in, in consciousness in general that you're going to have, you're always going to have a certain percentage of true believer types in society that there's, there's usually the, the number seems to hover around 25%. What do you mean by true believers? Oh, true believers. These would be the, um, the super zealot skeptics, the, uh, the uh, fundamentalist uh, Christians and, and pretty much this authoritarian type of personality. 
uh, they, they're always with us. And they will always seek power. And there's always a struggle to try and keep that from them because it's something they want sometimes for jobs that nobody else wants. Uh, and they, they immediately start in with their gatekeeping and stuff and all the misogyny can start because when they're in charge, they bring other people in like them. And then you end up with a culture that serves them. Uh, you see this in a lot of police departments where they have trouble with all kinds of issues, ranging from sexism to racism and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you get these, uh, you get these authoritarian types in charge. They bring in other authoritarian types and pretty soon the whole place has that sort of culture because it gets toxic for everybody else. Um, and they start leaving, which brings in more of the other type. Uh, and you, uh, this plays out in the sciences, it plays out in police departments, and pretty much any place where you're going to find a, a lot of power. Uh, that you know, you're going to find these people with authoritarian personality types will be attracted to the positions of power, and they'll they'll start bringing in other people like them. It gets toxic for other people, and pretty soon you have, you know, this this uh, this problem of sexism in perpetuity. Isn't that an artifact, though, of how we choose to organize ourselves and how we even conceptualize of power, you think? Well, personally, I think it gets back to upbringing. Um, you, need to, you need to start with the good base, you know, children who are loved and supported. And um, if, you, if you start from that base, then you have fewer kids who turn into authoritarians you still have them even with the best environments but you have fewer of them uh, in other words the parents aren't creating them so it needs to start in the home and work its way out from there and um, of course that gets a lot harder because you're talking instead of you know maybe thousands of of institutions you're talking millions upon millions hundreds of millions of families which is a much, you know, it's a much harder problem. Hmm. One thing that you mentioned in your book, and I think this is important because um, when we approach these topics, it's, it's, it's very good not to uh, paint everyone with the same brush, you know, see people as people and to, to have nuanced discussions that there are indeed um, people in the skeptical community, you, you describe uh, men that did stand up for their women colleagues and actually have put their career on the line for them. So, you know, it's not as black and white as, you know, skeptics hate women or or anything like that. Uh, Would you like to share a bit more about that with us? Yeah, I did run into a few skeptics who were uh, simultaneously very, uh, very militant in their attitude towards psychic ability. But on the other hand, would very vigorously defend women uh, in the face of misogyny. Uh, and it, was, it wasn't a lot of them. Uh, I could count them all, on, the ones that I encountered all on one hand, uh, but they are there. And, uh, you know, and when you, in, in some of these situations of misogyny, uh, you know, for example, when you see, when there was one case with, uh, uh, journalist Ben Radford, uh, his skeptic and skeptic girlfriend, uh, and got a, got accused of all sorts of misogynistic behavior from her. Well, she was his girlfriend, which kind of changes things a little bit. Um, 
And to the point where he uh, had a lawsuit uh, and she dropped, you know, she dropped all these claims as a result of that. Uh, in relationships, things are more complicated and, and you know, you can't just take things at straight at, at face value. Well, I would push against that because, you know, rape in relationships is still a thing. And I think it it, it is dangerous to, to, to imply otherwise. I'm sure that that's not the implication there. But I think it's important for our listeners to, to clarify that, you know, rape can happen in any sort of context, relationship or not. Um, what I hear that you're saying is that the, the particularities of that case might have been seen differently through that lens of them already being in the in a relationship. Is that is that correct? Well, but my only point here, you know, of course, first of all, yes, rape can happen in a consensual, in a, in a regular relationship. You can have misogynistic behavior and all this sort of thing. You know, wife beating is totally a thing. So I don't want to take that part away. Uh, but when you have uh, accusations flying back and forth from a relationship, you have to take a step back and uh, wait for more information. The uh, things aren't always as they appear, you know, particularly if you're only hearing from one party uh, and it, you need, you need to like take a step back and ju- and not be super judgy right away. Cause you don't know the whole story. Um, Obviously, if you, you know, the more evidence you get, the more you can draw conclusions. But, uh, you know, usually that's not the case. You just hear from one person. We, we do need to see people as people. And I think, you know, that's what you're getting to, to, to hearing all the evidence. And, you know, we're, we're kind of circling back to how we started this discussion about uh, pseudoskeptics not even being yeah. willing to, to, to look at the evidence and having one 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 view in, in their mind that they seek to maintain. Um, and just to just to respect our listeners who um, might need a resource on these topics, I will include a link for victims of sexual assault uh, for anyone looking for support or for anyone who knows someone who uh, who, who might need support in that. Um, Craig, what are spirituality yeah. and God to you? Um, I don't really have a specific belief in God myself. Uh, I tend to view consciousness as fundamental to physics, and my own personal beliefs are based upon what I see in parapsychology, which is that we have a universe where we are active participants and we have the ability to nudge reality uh, to a certain extent uh, in directions that we choose. And that our own thoughts are incredibly important and how we use those thoughts has a direct influence on how things play out for us. And do you, do you have any, any belief in God per se, or does God not really play into this, into this view of the world? Well, it kind of depends on how you define God. If we're talking about a personal God that you can talk to, no, I, I don't really buy into that. If we're talking about uh, a collective consciousness of all of reality that has a mind of some sort that might that is completely beyond our comprehension, yeah, I'm, I'm totally down with that. Um, but the the idea of a you know a god, particularly one selecting groups of people as worthy or something like that, no. And if you could be remembered for one thing, what would that be? 
<laughs> so my wish list is that uh, that in my lifetime I can help move the needle towards acceptance of parapsychology. I think there's something really, really important there uh, in that science, and moving towards acceptance of that also I think uh, means. Uh, that there are social issues, including uh, how we treat women, that are involved in that acceptance. There are uh, a host of things because we have to we have to think differently about reality uh, in order to accept parapsychology, and that will include thinking about women a little bit differently. Certainly, you know, when we're talking about topics like reincarnation, we've all been women and we've all been men. Mm. So gender really isn't as cut and dried as we think it is uh, that, you know, women are going to have male aspects and men are going to have female aspects. And it's, you know, we're, we're dealing something particularly at the, at an energetic soul level of something that's more of a spectrum rather mm-hmm. than, you know, a physical body. And that's another thing with parapsychology is, you know, that the physical isn't primary, uh, you can't really have psychic ability and have the physical be primary. The, the mind itself has to be primary. Consciousness itself has to be fundamental for all of this to, to work. Mm. And, you know, if you're, if you're focused on the mind, then the body is a less important aspect of it. And you start paying more attention to the person and not their physical form. So, I think it's important for those reasons as well. I I think this I think you have such an important goal and the points that you raise about parapsychology and how it shapes how we think about ourselves, how we see other people, it's really important. Like now that you say it, I'm realizing it could also help loosen our overattachment to our identities. Mm-hmm. Is that something? You, you would also agree with and maybe in the long run we would get less of that contrarian attitude you know without looking at the evidence type of thing you know maybe we get more open-mindedness in the long run well I certainly hope so um I you know I, as you can tell I'm fairly open-minded myself and I don't really do close-minded well I don't deal well with that sort, sort of person um in my business, in fact, that's, you know, that's something I look out for because narrow-minded people will cheat you. <laughs> um, that's just, you know, that that's life in the self-employed lane. <laughs> <laughs> so it behooves me to pay real close attention to that particular trait. <laughs> in, in, in a very practical sense. In a very practical sense. Yeah. <laughs> and it, all, and- it all ties together. It does. It, it it really all does, and and it, it, it's it's something that I I notice in my life as well. It's interesting once you go down exploring fields such as parapsychology, how how things in your life seem to shift sometimes as well. Do you also have that experience? Uh, yeah, you know the interesting thing with parapsychology is I I realized when I started uh, being able to converse with people on a regular basis that uh, that I'd found my crowd that these, these were my people. These were the ones that I could relate best to. Uh, it was a really wonderful moment for me. This whole COVID situation has been a godsend to me 
because of, uh, you know, particularly in a field like parapsychology, they were having these conferences all over the world to try to accommodate everybody. And it'd be thousands of dollars to attend something like that, which I, I couldn't afford. Well, COVID, with COVID, everything went online. And all of a sudden, I can connect with people all over the world uh, over a conference to, to share this interest with me. And it's just been, it's been wonderful. Well, that's how we connected as well. We're pretty far yeah. apart. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty awesome. I agree. And Craig, if our listeners remember just one thing from what you shared today, what should that one thing be? The, the one thing I would say that listeners should do is pay attention to the idea of authoritarian personalities. Learn to recognize them. Learn to see authoritarian traits in people because once you begin to recognize that, uh, when people are being very narrow, that you'll know more about how to deal with them because they'll be 99% of your trouble if they're in your life. And, uh, you know, there's knowing that this type of personality is, is somebody that you're having to deal with helps a lot in being able to deal with them because they're they're very difficult to fight with. And Craig, for everyone who wants to, to learn more about you and your work, where can our listeners find you? Well, I am the science editor for Paranormal Daily News. So if you go to their website, uh, you will find... Uh, You'll find my articles there on parapsychology. And I'm also active on Twitter uh, under the name Craig Weiler. And uh, so it's it's fairly easy to find there. And I'm also on Quora occasionally. Uh, I can be reached on that particular website as well. I have a parapsychology site there with 20,000 followers. And then I have my own account there as well. Excellent. There are ways to read what I've written. <laughs> Excellent. We'll, we'll put all those links in the show notes. Um, and with that, uh, Craig, I want to thank you so much for sharing your time, your wisdom, your knowledge, your insights, and for having this discussion with me today, which, you know, I, I, I appreciate that it's, it's not always easy to have, but it's so, so important. And I, I really appreciate you being today and sharing this space. Um, and your insights with us. Thank you. It is a difficult topic. So, you know, sexism is, is tough. You know, I, I you know, even talking about it, you know, it, it doesn't feel good mm-hmm. to, to talk about, you know, bad experiences for women. Uh, I, I have an instant empathetic response and it makes me uncomfortable thinking that, you know, people around me uh, are, are not living their best life sometimes because they're having to watch out for very, very disagreeable men who, who are looking for any, any way to gain an advantage over them in some way. That's it's, it's, it's difficult. It's uncomfortable. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just a tough topic. It really is. Thank you so, so much. And to all our listeners, I highly recommend you follow Craig. Um, It, you will learn a ton about parapsychology, which is a very fascinating field, as you might be able to tell if you have never heard of it. Um, Craig, thank you so much again, and I'm looking forward to connect again. 
thank you very much for having me, Christina. It's been a great pleasure. Likewise, Greg. Thanks.